0: Welcome to Stacey on the Right with your host, Stacey Washington.
1: Get some an analysis now from the outside advisor to President Trump for judicial nominations. Leonard Leo joins us tonight. Leonard, thanks for being here. Good to be here. First, put this in perspective about how big a deal this opening, not just a opening, this opening,
2: is. Sure. Justice Kennedy's been on the court for over 30 years, and he's played an enormously important role in helping to fashion so many different areas of our jurisprudence from gun rights to freedom of speech separation of powers federalism
1: it's a big deal the process i'm being kind of whispers that the neil gorsuch blueprint is basically what is going to move forward
2: yes the president had enormous success in nominating neil gorsuch to the court and i think that's the kind of process that you'll see going forward another nominee like him
1: is the sense you heard the senate majority leader that this is going to happen quickly is there a timeline on this
2: usually it takes the white house about 2 or 3 weeks to get a nomination out and then normally it takes about 70 to 100 days for a senate to confirm so the leader's right you're looking at the fall and you could have somebody seated just before the beginning of the october term of the quarter just after it starts what about the
1: the democrats including the senate minority leader who are out there saying this can't happen it needs to wait till after the election
2: president appoints justices to the court uh it's one thing to say that you know just before a presidential election we should have a cooling off period but we have a president the american people knew he was going to who he was going to nominate because he gave him a list so we should just move forward
3: wow <laughs> um so yeah that's the way things would work in normal world but this is bizarro world <laughs> so we gotta prepare ourselves we're now on the bird. The whirly bird that will uh, make this as bumpy and as contentious a process as it could possibly be. Welcome back to the show, everybody. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Staceyontheright.com is a website where you can check us out, subscribe, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, I want to mention to you the Marriage and Family Conference that's being held down at Tupelo at Hope Church, August 17th and 18th. I'll be there. So many of the hosts on AFR and Urban Family Talk will be there. We really love to um, meet you, shake your hand, and have you participate in the festivities. It's going to be great, and I'm so excited about just getting a chance to go down. And I, I, so full disclosure, I've only been to Tupelo the one time, which was for Shareathon last year in the fall, not the spring one, but the fall one for 2017. And we were not there very long. I took our oldest daughter with us. Well, it was just she and I, and we had such a good time. But it was kind of a short in and out type of a visit. And so this time, it's not going to be much more than that. I'm not going to be there a long time, but it'll be another chance to go down and kind of hang out at AFR a little bit and um, just reconnect with so many of the good people there and get to see people that I kind of work with, but virtually get to see them in person. So I'd love to meet you there if you decide to join us for the conference. We'd really, really love to see you. Uh, This hour on the show, we're going to continue our conversation about the Possibilities, and that the it's just a great opportunity. We knew this was going to happen. If if anyone is, you know, with their eyebrows up in their hairline, looking shocked, you know, making their mouth into a little o, like, oh, I can't believe this is happening. I can't believe Trump's going to appoint a second justice. Where have you been? It's not just two. There's a possibility he could do as many as four. If Clarence Thomas decides to retire, he's he's older, but still, you know, he's still sharp. But he might want to spend time with his family. He has kids and grandkids, etc. Um, And then obviously Ruth Bader Ginsburg, who was counting on a Hillary Clinton win so that she could retire and be replaced with a liberal justice. She's 85 years old. She's been hanging on for a long time. Her best opportunity to have left would have been during the Obama administration, but she chose not to. And so now she's looking at, what, hanging on until she's 88 years old? So anyway, it's not like we didn't know this was a possibility, which is why so many of us who Trump wasn't our first choice during the primary, pulled the lever for him anyway, because we knew on Supreme Court picks, he'd already said, I'm not even gonna choose these people. I'm gonna go with a list of recommendations from the Heritage Foundation and the Federalist Society, two of the best organizations in America for conservative policy. So once you've got that out there, he put the list out before he was even you know, at election day. It was a no-brainer for me. We knew this was a possibility, and now praise God, here it is. But you've got Trump judicial advisor, Leonard Leo, talking to uh, Brett Baer on Fox News about this whole thing, this, just like this whole, whole opportunity. And he's laying everything out, trying to set some expectations. The president has also issued a timeline. Uh, he's expecting to get it done in 90 to 100 and some odd days. Uh, the, in the next couple of weeks, we're going to see the actual nominee put forward by the White House. They're interviewing their top picks right now, speaking with them asking them questions, et cetera. So it's not a surprise. But Leonard Leo had the SCOTUS nominees kind of, uh, he laid out a little bit of information about them, in his number six.
1: He's saying that this list is unacceptable, but in reality, because of the vote structure in the Senate, there's really nothing Senate Democrats can do. Is there to stop a nomination from going forward, aside from
2: tripping that person up in a hearing? If the president nominates someone extraordinary like Neil Gorsuch again, I think it's very hard to stop that kind of a nomination. The American people were widely supportive of Neil Gorsuch and Justice Gorsuch had bipartisan support in the Senate.
1: Okay, let's talk about a couple of the names that we're hearing about already. John mentioned some of them. Uh, Judge Brett Kavanaugh, D.C. Circuit, uh, U.S. Court of Appeals here in Washington
2: very distinguished service on the federal bench hundreds of opinions published out of the dc circuit someone who understands that those limits on government power in our constitution are inextricably intertwined with the preservation of freedom in our country will he have problems with democrats well as senator schumer has said anyone the president nominates will have problems with democrats but ultimately i think red state democrats and moderates in the senate will understand that someone like uh, brett kavanaugh or another Neil Gorsuch type nominee would be quite suitable for our country.
3: And 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 that person would. I mean, I don't think I'm going to love every ruling by Neil Gorsuch. He's already shown a little bit of a penchant for being, I mean, he's strictly according to the Constitution, but he's also like, he's got a little streak in him that, you know, I, I know you guys saw me with my little mug. Like, I was so excited about somebody making those gorsuch babe mugs. Not Not that I'm, like, not that there's any attraction there or anything, but I thought the mug was super cute. So I was, you know, drinking out of my mug and showing it off when it was time for him to be nominated. And he went through the confirmation and all that. And that was fun. You know, and I'm I'm all about we we have to have fun. We've been put here to enjoy life, uh, to have life and and have it more abundantly. And so we're not supposed to be sourpusses just sitting around looking all dour and and never, ever really appreciating the levity of some of these moments. So, you know, for sure, I'm going to have fun with it. But I don't think Neil Gorsuch is going to be like, he's not going to be a Clarence Thomas for me where I can't find a moment where we disagreed. I just, he's not going to be that guy. But I do think he'll be reliably conservative. And on the times where he doesn't really, you know, like his opinion isn't my thing, I still think I'm going to be able to see the reasoning behind it because he's a strict constitutionalist. He's a, you know, he's a textualist. So that's fine. You know, and so someone like Neil Gorsuch would be great. I tend to think, you know, and I'm not a betting person, but I, I would say it looks to me like it's the lady who's going to get the nod. Um, let me see if I still have my little sheet. I know I I have to go through here and recycle. One day I'll do a video. I'll do a quick live video and I'll show you guys the mayhem that's going on in here in this office. Um, sometimes I know my family members come in here and they want to use one of the computers and they, they've got to be thinking, good grief. You know, oh, here it is. I did save it. So, uh. I tend to think it's going to be Amy Coney Barrett. And the reason I think that is because the president has a tendency to put women in positions of power. He loves promoting women. And while you guys know that's not my thing, picking someone just because of their characteristics, I I feel like the person has to be well qualified and that the characteristics should not rule the day. I also have some information um, that I was able to get from a good friend of mine who's been a guest on the show. Um, And she sent this out. And it's fantastic. It's from JAG, Judicial Action Group. And it's public information, but I wasn't aware of it until she sent it over. And she was talking... In, in this piece, they have give a brief summary of potential Supreme Court nominees. And, um, you know, they have a little bit of a preface to it, talking about the important decision of Trump's presidency. Uh, you know, obviously, Neil Gorsuch's decision has already been made, so this would be the next most important decision he'll have to make. And they give... The prospects in tiers. And so they talk about, in their opinion, and this was issued, the draft was updated 62818. But this is who they consider to be the first tier prospects for the nomination. First tier, according to their judicial records. So their records on opinions that they've issued. They say their first tier prospects are Amy Coney Barrett, Ted Cruz, and Thomas Lee. So the brother of Mike Lee. Judge Amy Coney Barrett is aged 46 years old. She was nominated and confirmed last year to the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the Seventh Circuit. She was added to President Trump's Supreme Court prospect list on November 17th of 2017. And as a longtime law professor at Notre Dame, her judicial philosophy is well known from her extensive writings on the role of the judiciary, precedent, judicial intrusion into legislative affairs. She would be a solid constitutionalist on the Supreme Court and was persecuted for her Christian faith during her Senate confirmation hearing. You guys remember this. Oh, it was terrible. We played the audio on the show. Yeah, I thought she looked familiar to me. She was good. So she was confirmed with the votes of all Republicans and three Democrats, making her a bipartisan uh, supported uh, candidate. Some in D.C. claim Barrett should be older, but if confirmed, she would be three years older than Justice Thomas and have more experience than Justice Kagan at their confirmations. By Republican and Democrat standards, Barrett has the necessary experience and age to serve on the Supreme Court. And the next top-tier candidate they name is Senator Ted Cruz, who's not on the list of prospects, but it has been reported that the opportunity has been presented to him. But his thin record of writings does not fill the void. Also, his judicial mentor is not known for being a constitutionalist and made unfair racial accusations against Chief Justice Roberts during his confirmation. Um, I'm sorry. Senator Ted Cruz, I'm flipping over to the back. You guys, this is what happens when I'm reading from uh, the information. Okay. Scratch that. So it's Senator Ted Cruz. He's the second first-tier prospect. And it has been reported that Trump strongly considered Cruz for the Scalia vacancy and may have even offered to nominate him. But Cruz's views on the role of the judiciary are well known. In 2015, he convened a Senate subcommittee hearing on the problem of judicial activism that properly defined the problem and showed a willingness to provide legislative accountability to address the crisis. Cruz is well tested and known to believe that the role of the judiciary is to decide cases not to legislate from the bench. And further, that judicial usurpation of legislative power must be addressed through the constitutional system of checks and balances. OK, that sounds much more like Ted Cruz. And then the third top tier prospect is Judge Thomas Lee, age 53. He's a justice on the Utah Supreme Court. Uh, Thomas and his brother, Senator Mike Lee, are tested consci- constitutionalists. Their father, Rex Lee, was solicitor general for President Reagan. Wow. Lee is a constitutionalist and a textualist of the first order. He correctly points out that judges should not feel bound to follow prior judicial opinions when they contradict the original meaning of the Constitution. Oh, that's fantastic. He would be a formidable and vocal leader for originalism and textualism in the Supreme Court. He eloquently refutes the evolving Constitution doctrine as the antithesis of an originalist interpretation of the constitutional text that results in having no constitution at all. Wow, that's good stuff. So that's the top tier according to this group. Now, I want to give you just the names of the third tier. Well, okay, second tier prospects are Thomas Hardiman, Raymond Kesslidge, and Don Willett. Remember I said Don Willett was one of, like, a favorite for me. And then the third tier prospects are Brett Kavanaugh and Amol Thapar. Now, here's why this is important, this third tier. Judge Brett Kavanaugh is age 53. He's been a judge in the U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit since 2006. And he's personally well-liked in D.C. But his record has bred concern amongst pro-lifers and um, social conservatives. Oh, he's got some interesting things here. And, and they're not good. The concern with Kavanaugh is not that he would be another Justice Ginsburg, but that he could be another Justice Kennedy. So someone who's not reliably conservative when ultimate issues are at stake, such as the ruling with Obamacare. And then Judge Amal Thapar. Now, if you are someone who follows the SCOTUS blog and you pay attention a little bit, this is a guy who you probably have never heard of before. I hadn't ever heard of him before. He's age 49 and the problem with him is that he is the one with a thin record of writings He had a judicial mentor that was not known for being a constitutionalist and made unfair racial accusations against Chief Justice Roberts during his confirmation. Too much is unknown about Thapar. His relationship with Senator McConnell may be politically beneficial, but we simply don't know enough about his judicial philosophy. The other thing is, Judge Thapar checks off that minority box, but in the end, is it about checking off boxes, demographics like the Democrats, or is it about getting a strict... Textualists onto the court. I'd rather the latter. So, okay, when we get back, we'll have Seton Motley of Less Government. That's going to be a great interview. You don't want to miss it. Stay there.
0: Meet Dan Steiner, president of Preborn. Jill came
4: into our center about eight months ago And uh, she was in a really difficult spot because her husband had, or um, I'm sorry, her boyfriend was incarcerated. She didn't have a place to live. She's out on the street. She came into our center. And uh, when she saw her baby on the ultrasound, she says, I've got to find a way to do this. She changed from abortion minded to wanting to choose life for her baby. And that's where we came in, coming beside that ultrasound with baby clothes, with housing for her. Her baby just delivered last Wednesday. It's a little boy, he's beautiful. That's the power of ultrasound.
0: 80% of women choose life when they see their baby on ultrasound. To find out more about how you can help save a baby's life, go to preborn.com. That's preborn.com. Or dial pound 250 and say, keyword, baby. That's pound 250 and say, baby. All gifts are tax deductible. Your love can save a life. This is Viewpoints with Kirby Anderson. The president and some members of Congress have started an important conversation about criminal justice reform. But while we're having that conversation, it is crucial that we get some of the facts straight. At a recent conference, Senator Elizabeth Warren lamented this country criminalizes low-level drug offenses. She said more people are locked up for low-level offenses on marijuana than for all violent crimes in this country. That makes no sense at all. She is certainly correct. It doesn't make any sense. That's because it isn't true. Rafael Mangual, in a recent op-ed, looks at the numbers. The total incarcerated population in the U.S. is just over 2.1 million. In the federal prisons, there is a high percentage serving time for drug offenses, but these are not pot smokers. Most are federal drug traffickers. In the state prisons, only about 15% are serving time for a drug offense. Again, the vast majority are in for trafficking. And it's worth mentioning that even the small percentage in for drug possession may have settled on that charge after a plea bargain. In addition to the argument that we're putting people in prison for minor drug offenses is the argument that we're also putting too many black men behind bars. Let's begin by stating the obvious. There is a racial disparity. African-Americans make up about 13% of the population, meaning that black men make up about 6.5% of the American population. Nevertheless, they make up approximately one-third of state prison populations. The latest figures from the Bureau of Justice show that blacks constitute 35% of violent offenders, 45% of weapons offenders, 27% of property offenders, and 31% of drug offenders. Those figures explain why more black men are behind bars and illustrate why we need to get some of these facts straight. I'm Kirby Anderson and that's my point of view. Take Kirby and the Point of View team with you on the go with the Point of View app. Search for Point of View Radio at the Apple or Google Play Stores. Welcome
5: back to Spacey on the Right. <laughs>
3: Welcome back to the show, you guys. Welcome back. It's good to be with you on a Friday. It's, the sun is shining after the storms yesterday. And so, what I have to post on Instagram, you guys will have to look for this before you like unplug for, from social media, is check out my Instagram for some. We, we were upstairs and we saw through these big doors in our bedroom that, that face to the outside that it looked like a pink light coming from outside. So, we run downstairs. And look out, step outside the house and the sky is pink and purple and the sun is setting. I'm like, what's going on here? So it's obviously it's a thunderstorm and it's making everything look weird because it's the sun is setting. So we go running down our street to catch the biggest view of it that we could. And I got all these amazing pictures of this weird, purpley, pinkish. I mean, it was just something amazing uh last night and i saw other people who actually made it to their instagram accounts with their pictures but i'm posting mine tonight because it was such an uplifting thing to kind of just it, it was just so much to look at you guys just look up and there's all these different like eight different kinds of clouds and everything's moving fast because the thunderstorm had already passed through our area and it was to the so the, to the east of us and moving fast and so you've got some lightning but no rain and the sun is setting and you can still see it. And you can see a thin line of the blue sky where there's no clouds at all. And then all of these fluffy pink and purple clouds that were just floating overhead. And I got some really cool pictures. So I'll put those up right after the show. Um, right now, it's my pleasure to welcome my friend and buddy who has the cutest dog on Instagram besides Bentley. He's obviously cute, but he's, he's super cute. He's not cuter than our dog Bentley, but he's super cute. He and His dog and Bentley could be friends. And also, he's the founder of Less Government. Seton Motley, thanks for coming on today.
5: Thank you very much. I'm watching Rufus roll around on, the, on, on a bed here at the house.
3: Of course you are. <laughs> yeah. Rufus is He, he weighs six
5: and a quarter pounds, so he's a beast.
3: He's a beast. Our dog weighs, uh, he, well, he's down to 13 pounds. He was 16 pounds, but the doctor has ordered him to lose two more pounds. We don't know how he's going to do it. So he's a thinner, but still fluffy and still cute. No, yeah.
5: Rufus, Rufus is a natural um, mesomorph. He's, he's in good shape.
3: <laughs> okay, so um, now that we've updated everybody on the status of our pets. There he
5: is. He's
3: um, Yeah. H- Hello, Rufus. Um, let's talk about this. So you, you send out the less government kind of report on the regular basis. And I always read them. And I'm always fascinated by the stuff that you're able to, like, pull out. And it's always about less government. But this story here really kind of hit me right between the eyes because I rightly assume that Toys R Us, part of their demise is we have a declining birth rate. Fewer people are having children, but it's not just that. Toys R Us also really suffered greatly with the advent of Amazon. So I just assumed it was people not liking the customer service at Toys R Us. They go to Amazon instead, which is the thing for me. If anybody ticks me off in a store, I immediately go to Amazon and I find that if I can buy the same thing on Amazon, and then I never go in that store again. So when I was considering it, I, I thought people just don't like the, the Toys R Us experience anymore. It was just really annoying. But that's not the story, is it, Seton?
5: Well, no. Well, I mean, look, it, I think that was – I think the, uh, what you may have experienced because – uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was part of the downward spiral after what I discovered, which was in the late 1990s. Of course, the government privatized the internet, wisely so, in the mid 1990s, and then people were starting to try to figure out, you know, okay, what is this? What's it going to mean, et cetera, et cetera? And then a couple of really intelligent visionaries saw its potential much better than other people did. You know, you got Sergey Brin and Larry Page at Google as two examples. You've got, um, you, you know, you. Got uh, the guy from AOL, whose like, name escapes me, and one of the guys that very early on looked at it and said, "Aha, this is going to be something." Was Jeff Bezos from Amazon. So what happened was he had a vision for Amazon. Remember, once upon a time they just sold books, and he had a vision for much, much, much more than that. And so, and I think he did this in part to, you know, to pick their brains on the toy business. He went to Toys R Us, and in 2000. They struck an ex- exclusivity deal, which was Toys R Us pays Amazon $50 million a year to be the exclusive toy uh, provider on Amazon's store, uh, website. And they also they got a percent. Oh,
3: no. Okay. I so know it, he's. Oh, there paper
5: you are. It's a win-win because. On this new thing, the internet, uh, Toys R Us doesn't have to figure out how to, the the art and the science of online sales, you know, Amazon will do that for them, and Amazon doesn't have to make toys, right? Toys R Us has a brand name, that name has cachet, and they'll have those toys on, toys on, on the Amazon website. Well, Toys R Us started screwing them and started putting other toys on the website, and And in 2004, Amazon sued and won. And the the judge just ripped, it was a 131-page decision, and I think her name was Judge McVeigh, and she just ripped Amazon a new one. But here was the thing that I discovered that just completely blew me away. (laughs) Amazon's deal with Toys R Us precluded Toys R Us from having their own website.
3: Okay, so, so you said Amazon won. But it was Toys R Us that won, 2006.
5: right? Now that, that means every other toy company had about a decade head start on them. And as you know, a decade in the internet is an eon in human years, and you'll never ever catch up from that kind of well, on that kind of head start. And so they, I, I think, I posit in the piece, and I think this to be true. That was the first nail in the coffin for Amazon. Them being screwed by Amazon, not having a website and adhering to their end of the deal with Amazon. And then by the time they you – know, the judge had to rule and get, let them out of the contract and say, okay, now you can build a website in 2006. And I think that was the first nail in the coffin uh, of, of Toys R Us. Um, because while all their competitors were shifting to this hybrid of brick-and-mortar and online retail – they were precluded from doing that. They were slaves to Amazon. And then Amazon started cheating on them with other toy, product, toy manufacturers. And uh, Toys R Us was still being, adhering to the contract and not building a website. And so not getting to the web till 2006 when everybody else did years, years, years before, I think was extraordinarily damaging to Toys R Us going forward.
3: Yeah, so you, you said that Amazon won, but it was Toys R Us that won the lawsuit, but one it didn't matter. I meant to
5: say Toys R Us yeah. Toys won the lawsuit, yeah, because yeah. I, I said the judge ripped, ripped Amazon a new yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, so, but um, it didn't matter the because they were already... I it was a 31-page decision, yeah. Sorry, yeah. I misspoke, yeah. No, no, Toys no that's R Us okay. Won the and then part of what they won was they got out of the jam of you can't build the website. <laughs> the judge said in 2006, okay, you can build your own website now.
3: But isn't so there's a there's a huge lesson here that's a byproduct of this story, which is if it sounds too good to be true, it's too good to be true. If you're a company and you want to be viable in the marketplace for the foreseeable future, you don't at the advent of a new big thing like the Internet decide to let some other company be in charge of your presence there, especially with a bad actor like Amazon. They literally if you look at it, I read your piece they drove Toys R Us out of business with their decision to go behind Toys R Us's back and sell toys also, and then to kind of hold them to their agreement where they couldn't stand up a website. I mean, it's like the worst thing ever. And it makes you feel like, Wow, if they were willing to do that back then, like what are they, what else are they doing right now that we haven 't found out about
5: now that they're a thousand times more powerful than they mm-hmm. were then
3: mm-hmm. <laughs>
5: I mean, they were powerful back then in the sense that one, they were big already, but two you had a, they had a guy at the helm who understood the internet so much better than just about everybody else you've now got a lot more people that understand it, maybe not to the granular level that somebody like Bezos does, but, you know, you've got more competition in that space, but now Amazon, you know, he's the richest guy on the planet, um, he, he, his company is $800 billion market cap, I believe, if I'm remembering properly, and and he's, one by one, he just bought a big online uh, pharmacy, um, he's going into the drug, uh, prescription drug business, and he's driving out, I mean, he's driving out competitors, that's why he bought whole Whole Foods. I mean, he's looking to monopolize as many areas of
3: the economy as he
5: can.
3: So what is the answer for us? Because, Seton, I've already shared my plan. It's not a secret. We're huge Amazon Prime users because of the convenience. But I've also become aware that Walmart, which is a company that I actually like um, and I'm not afraid of, Walmart is working on. They're doing two days, too. They're what?
5: They're doing two
3: day delivery too now. Yeah, and and they have this this website that they purchased, and that website is like a tiny Amazon, but it's it's still small enough that they were able to purchase it so they can take its its you know the, and, the, the, kind, and of the and structure, kind of make it there. Yeah, yeah, and make it theirs and then expand it because anything that Walmart takes and implements over their whole store suddenly becomes similar in size to Amazon if if it's done well and it's done right. So I'm just waiting on them to figure out how to do it. And then I've planned to switch to them because they are not a corporate raider. They're not demonic in their outlook towards other companies, and they don't seek to rule over every area of your life. They just want to sell you stuff.
5: Right, and and, and their brilliance that made them so huge was they were. Bears on inventory. They they were very good at tracking, to on a day-to-day basis what products weren't selling, and if a product didn't sell for like a week, they marked it down, got it off the shelf, and put something else there. They were that's how they got so big. Was they were really. A detail attentive to what was selling and what wasn't on their in their stores. So I'm hoping that they can translate that into online success as well. Listen, I live in a suburb of a town of 2,000. It takes me 20 minutes to drive to the grocery store here. So I'm I'm definitely an Amazon Prime user as well. And um, but yeah, I mean Bezos is a bad dude, um, and he's doing a lot of bad stuff in a lot of bad ways. Uh, you know, I'm am trying to get I'm working to stop him from getting an exclusive 10 year contract. Uh, to do the only to be the sole cloud uh, computing uh, provider to the defense department, the entire defense oh, department, all by What a by terrible himself.
3: idea! Who, who is thinking that's a good idea?
5: I uh, mean, Mattis, I think. Oh, um, come on. Yeah, I mean, oh, I'm serious. I, Mattis likes Bezos. They met and he liked him. And but yeah, it's a 10 year exclusive. 10, it's at least 10 billion dollars.
3: B- Any exclusive a contract with me should with a be bee. looked at. And, with, with um,
5: yeah, so I'm trying to get that. You know, at the very least, screw you know. Forget it's Amazon. Nobody should be the exclusive provider. Because if it goes down, the entire Defense Department goes down. Thank you. You know, there should be multiple providers providing, you know, like I say five providers providing 40% of the product each, right? So that's 200%, which means each provider, there are two providers providing each thing. So if one goes down, they have immediate access to the backup. One computer, one, one one provider for all of it seems to me to be a little dumb. And then the fact that it's Amazon makes it even worse.
3: Well, Seton, my husband's in IT, and I, uh, if there's anything I know about, it's the proliferation of dual redundancy in the private sector when it comes to all of the computing. So anything that has to do with computers or networks, they have dual redundancy. And that's yeah. really old tech. Like, I'm sure now they're talking, what, triple redundancy, quadruple redundancy. But, in uh, other- my,
5: my 200% model, I just made it up off the top of my head. I said that's a bare minimum. Yeah.
3: Right, right. So... I, I don't understand why the U.S. government would be any less like into establishing well, I mean, redundancies. Like
5: the defense department who does redundancies everywhere else in everything they do?
3: Yeah, it's kind of weird. Uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that's not going to be the case. Like sometimes, and I get it. Like when people say, "Oh, this person likes Jeff Bezos," who wouldn't? I mean, imagine what he's like. Because aren't you ultimately more comfortable with yourself and confident and able to be just uh, yeah, like the best uh, yeah, personality yeah, when money, you
5: know, Yeah.
3: <laughs> Yeah. Even if you I mean, look
5: like a lizard, which he kind of does. Well, um, and also
3: he, he and his wife as a couple, like, the, they're the kind of people who, you know who they are, so obviously you're almost in awe. But if they were just regular people, you, like, come on. I'm not being rude. Well, you, I'm not, I'm,
5: yeah, you know the old joke. The difference between weird and eccentric is about $100 million.
3: Well, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so he has room to do it, t- yeah, what, Jeff three, four those, times as a, much? Was,
5: was not doing one way modeling prior to... Uh, Amazon. And no. he doesn't
3: have to because most people who are insanely attractive, like, you know, it's it's a 50-50 chance they're going to be horrible or they're going to be just as great on the inside as they are on the outside. You never know. But it's the point. The point is that his business actions kind of make, I don't care what he looks like he, and, and I don't care how nice he is. Really, it's what is his history? And this is the mistake, Seaton, that's been made with the founder of Facebook. Over and over and over again, he shows up looking very nervous and, and awkward and says, we don't understand. And months and
5: months ago. I, I said, yeah. These guys are exponentially more powerful than the robber barons of the late 1800s.
3: And they're more dangerous because they they keep lying. And this is just what I'm looking at with the Facebook after reading everything about how he keeps apologizing for doing the same thing. Oh, no, we've had a data breach. I should have right, been more right, careful. Right. Over is our fifth, and over. This
5: fifth meeting with conservative leaders yeah. to apologize yeah. for us we're, blocking them. We're on, working on, on, yeah, we're
3: working on yeah, not yeah. throttling you down, but... Also, we just issued a new algorithm that throttles you down. Uh, we're looking at changing our news format. Uh, we're, not, we're not targeting conservatives, but you're also not going to have any traffic. We're prioritizing stories, family stories over news. I mean, it. He just keeps apologizing and then doing worse things. Why should we trust Bezos when he well, ran Toys R Us out of it? The point is we
5: should. I mean, he's, yeah. his company's worth 600 and some billion. Um, you know, this is much bigger than Carnegie and, and uh, Rockefeller and, you know, Standard Oil and, and, and all this. I mean, these are exponentially larger. And given where our economy is, I mean, look. Standard oil was pretty much a monopoly, and that was pretty d- damaging in the, in the late 1800s. However, you know, and I, I know it's not as important to have social media platform, but when you factor in all the business, one-sixth of the entire economy uh, is generated online, which means that's, you know, you're talking one-sixth of $20 trillion. That's a lot of power to wield when you can, like, like you just said, change your algorithm. And your website, you know, I, Independent Journal Review, IJR, basically went out of business when they changed the algorithm because they, they relied yeah. so much on traffic generated by Facebook and When yeah. they changed the algorithm, which by the way, the algorithm change didn't affect leftist sites at all. What a what a shocker that is. Um, IGR, that basically killed them and uh, yeah. there are other examples where you know Drudge went down a good percentage uh, as a result of the algorithm change, but yeah. again, no leftist sites went down.
3: Well, you know, it, again, I don't know why we should even be trusting them like beyond what we can see, the spittle on their face. Ziton uh, Motley, founder of Less Government. Thank you for coming on today, sir.
5: Pleasure. Thank you. Have a great weekend.
3: You too. All right. We'll be back with a final segment of Stacey on the Right right after this. This is Just a Minute with Stacey Washington. Recently, there was a mass shooting in Trenton, New Jersey. It's not national news because the victims aren't TV ready and the perpetrators were gang members who used the wrong type of firearm. Art All Night Trenton is an annual family-friendly event showcasing art, films, and food. Warnings about possible gang activity brought the event to an early end. Gunmen killed one person and injured 21 others, qualifying this event as a mass shooting. So where are the gun control rallies and exhaustive reports on the types of guns used? This type of shooting happens across the country every weekend in urban areas, so no big deal, right? Inner-city shootings only matter to major media when AR-15s or assault-style rifles are used. The victim and perpetrators were Black, and there will be no rallies. National crime is down, but urban gang violence persists. Either we care about all mass shootings, no matter who the victims and perpetrators are, or we don't. There is no middle ground. I'm Stacey Washington. Find out more at stacyontheright.com.
0: Abraham Hamilton III.
3: God put
1: us in this world at this time to be salt and light. We don't fool because of the darkness that we're facing. This is not the first time in the world's history that it's gotten dark. God has called you and I to be his ambassadors, even in this dark moment. Tune in to the Hamilton Quarter weekdays at 5 p.m. Central on Urban Family Talk. Hi, my name's Mike. Marijuana was my obsession. And because
4: of this, I watched my dream shatter like glass. I would have given up if it had not been for
0: Teen Challenge. They helped me get my life back on track again. If you know an adult or teenager who's struggling with a chemical addiction, Teen Challenge can help. Call us today at 417-581-2181 or reach us online at teenchallengeusa.com. This is Urban Family
3: Talk. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. 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 Yo, 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 what up, Sid? Yo, what's up, Mike? How you doing? Man, I'm good, bro. Just let the club, you know, <laughs> the usual. The club?
6: Man, them clubs don't love back, man. You ain't learned yet. You better slow down, dude. Ah, come
2: on, Sid. You remember those days? We used to turn up together, man. Used to. Used
6: to, brother. I'm on something much different. Like what, though? I mean, that Jesus music you be rapping about, or beatboxing, or whatever you be doing. I'm saying, though, that's how I worship. God gave me rap, so I give it back. Why, though? Gospel rap is boring, man. Boring? There's nothing boring about the ransom that ransomed me with himself. Took me off the shelf to transform me into my best. Surrounding me with those of like minds, he drops bombs, some of which is found on urbanfamilytalk.com.
2: This
0: is Stacy on the Right on Urban Family Talk.
7: You're currently the only woman of color with her own daily show on Fox. When I turn on Fox, and I do sometimes, and I see you, I feel like I'm looking at a unicorn. Um, but there By is... the way, that's my nine-year-old's favorite animal. Really? She thinks they're real. I mean, it's... they It's, <laughs> it's, <not>? it's... <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's fascinating to me, but you have been on the receiving of, of some criticism of, oh, yeah. over how the network covers issues that affect the black community, such as the NFL protests. You yourself came out against um, Colin Kaepernick. Do you get flack from the black community on your positions? I get flack. Being Uh, the only black woman I'm talking to you have been in that environment so you know and you've been in broadcast for a long time and you and I have talked at other points I get flack from everybody which Mm -hmm. is how I know I'm living my truth Mm -hmm. I mean I'm a military brat Mm -hmm. so a couple things happened as we were going through our sex and racial discrimination scandals at Fox Mm -hmm. which by the way was like the tip of the iceberg when you looked across Hollywood, Mm -hmm. my goodness, you know this, because you know those players, I don't. Um, Capitol Hill, Mm -hmm. still trying, some of the women lawmakers still trying to get male lawmakers to the meetings Mm -hmm. so that they can make new legislation Mm -hmm. to kill the shush fund and that. Do you you feel a certain responsibility to the black community? I feel a responsibility to everyone, because my daughters are biracial. I'm in a unique position you are okay and i know you say the only one on fox where's ms At, what he sees yeah Where's cnn's i yeah. think hln yep and that's new mm-hmm. but sitting alone as a person of color as a black woman um i i do have a unique position and it yeah. sometimes people say things and it we, hurts we,
3: so who is that you're listening to? Welcome back to the show, everybody. Stacey Washington, host of Stacey on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Happy Friday. You were just listening to Harris Faulkner. Um, she went on to The View to discuss her new book, and it's a book that she writes from the perspective of a military brat. Her father was a, a flyer. He you know, he was on active duty. He was an officer. And she feels like her upbringing brought her to a place where she just has these kind of rules for success. And so she wrote a book about it and she went on to the view and they had a modified panel up there with her. It was her good friend from Fox news, Megan McCain, as you know, they were on the same show. I believe it was outnumbered that Megan McCain was a regular on until she was hired away by ABC news to be on the view. And then of course you had uh Sonny Hostin and Whoopi Goldberg. And so Whoopi Goldberg tried to, hem her in with some questions, uh, you know, uh, it it was really irrelevant. It was kind of a rude question that she asked. And then Sunny Hostin asked that question you just heard there about her being the only black woman at Fox News, which, I mean, I kind of wonder what Sunny Hostin thinks Harris Faulkner's role is at Fox News, because if she had anything to do with hiring, I'm not sure that Harris Faulkner, based on those answers, would automatically hire a black person to join the team. So how is, how is it that you're held responsible for the people that work with you when you're not the hiring official? Harris Faulkner doesn't hire and fire people at Fox News. And then the question was so loaded. Do you get pushback from the black community? Well, I imagine that Harris Faulkner gets called an Uncle Tom a lot. And when she came out against the kneeling protests with Colin Kaepernick, people were really rude to her, probably sent her death threats. You know, she's, she's huge. She has an enormous footprint as a, a regular host on two programs at Fox News. She's really one of their faces. She's been there so long and she's been consistently uh, a newsbreaker. She's brought coverage from the Middle East to Fox News and her reporting has been stellar. And Sonny Hostin, honestly, after listening to her defend Maxine Waters' comments about running people out of public spaces because of their political views or, or their employer, it was kind of interesting to hear her say, do you get pushback from the black community as if she wouldn't. She's on Fox News. I mean, it's one of those no-brainer type questions where you're like, really, Sonny? You know, I, if I had the opportunity to interview Harris Faulkner, I would not ask her if she had trolls who happened to be of the permanent tan. Do you know how many other things you can ask Harris Faulkner about her reporting career her her educational background, juggling being on Fox and being a regular there, not just contributing, but having her own program and being, you know, a co-host on, on another show. So two shows a day, five days a week. She's a mom with two kids. Uh, you know, there's so much that could be asked of her. I mean, she's one of my bucket list interviews. Like there's so many people that I've wanted to interview that I've gotten to interview, but there are some people that I've just, I've never had the opportunity to interview them. And that's, Fine. I'm I'm not ungrateful. But she's one of those people that I would just love to get the opportunity to ask her some questions on the air and hear her answers. And I noticed, and and it's worth watching. I think I tweeted it out earlier, but I'll double check to make sure that you guys have the link if you want to watch it for yourself. Uh, the the video of the video clip of the interview, it's about six and a half minutes long or so. So it's not a waste of time to watch it. And even Whoopi Goldberg's uh, segment with the she asked the first question. It's really important to watch, in my opinion, if you're interested in seeing how a consummate professional deflects negative questions. She not only answered well uh, for difficult question about the sexual harassment environment at Fox News and how Bill Shine has now been tapped to work on the comms team at the White House, and Bill Shine used to be over Fox News, and he was the one at the helm who made some questionable decisions about how to handle sexual harassment cr- claims that were levied against uh, Bill O'Reilly and some others who are no longer at the network. But Bill Shine also was the one who launched Hannity, Sean Hannity, the television show that has, you know, been the it's been the mainstay of his two part career in radio and television. And so he has some successes under his belt, and he has some areas where people have been very critical of his decision making. And Harris Faulkner answered the question without turning to the vitriol that would have been so easy. Like I saw the opening for her to go there with Whoopi Goldberg, the queen of double standards, but she didn't. And she came off so even keeled and classy and professional. And it was just a, it's, it's a masterclass in communications with a hostile media uh, environment, you know, but it's also, it's just an example of who she is as a person, which makes her someone admirable. Even if you don't share her political beliefs, Um, which because she appears to be very conservative, it's still that she deserves some respect for her career accomplishments and for her ability to navigate these kind of really nasty waters. And she was fun and upbeat. And I thought it was really great. And so I still, I I hope and I pray that I'll get to interview her one day and ask her my questions, which will be so much more interesting and non-confrontational and adversarial. But um, until that point, I thought it was worth you listening to her say that not just because she's a mom of biracial children, but that as a person who is a a host on Fox News, she feels a responsibility to everyone. In other words, there are no viewers she doesn't feel responsible to. And I really that resonated with me because I feel the same way. Here on Urban Family Talk, where we are targeting our message to the black community and we want people to, you know, hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want them to hear about marriage and family and politics and All of that, I I do feel a responsibility for that. But we also have huge listening audiences from every demographic group, who I feel responsible to as well. And so, what I'm presenting here on a daily basis is is me. You know, it's it's not Black Stacy versus White Stacy Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Tuesday, Thursday. It's just me all the time, and we cover all of those issues and topics. And I think Harris Faulkner in that interview was a really great example of what it's like to be in a post-racial America. A black TV host on a network where she's the only black female to have her own show. Many blacks on Fox News all the time. So the, the idea that she's the only black face on the network is ridiculous. But she is the only one who has her own show. And the idea that somehow she's responsible specifically for anything that's black or that she has anything to do with hiring or firing or that she isn't, Beholden to the entire audience because she wants everyone to watch is so like 50 years ago. And you would think, with Sonny Hostin being younger and having spent a lot of time in media herself, she wouldn't have asked that question because she would have seen from the giddy up that that was really kind of beneath her. She's not new to this. She's not a YouTube star who just ended up on, um, you know, The View. You would think she would have had a better question. And I, I was really surprised by it myself. Um, so now I'm gonna pivot over to this is pretty interesting. And I don't know if I'm gonna to get to it today. We do have some more time. But if you so if you're like us, we just bought a new dishwasher about six, seven months ago. And I think it works okay. Like I'm 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 not gonna start downgrading it. But I do remember a time when dishwashers were super, super effective. And there's been some changes from the Department of Energy. And if we get to if we get have the time, I'll get to. Um, this comment, they've opened up comments, public comments, requests for public comments about the regulators asking to allow faster dishwashers, et cetera, et cetera. Actually, the comment period closed June 25th, so you can't, you can't make a comment now, but this story is out um, yesterday, and it's about this whole idea that if you have anybody that you know that has an older dishwasher, it works better than your new dishwasher, which probably costs twice as much or three times as much, And that's because these regulations are making it so that the dishwasher manufacturers are having to make these products that don't really clean dishes, kind of like the toilets we're forced to use that don't totally work either. Uh, So right now, I want to listen to Matt Getz. He's confronting Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein about signing FISA applications against U.S. person Carter Page. Now, what's interesting about this interaction is that Representative Getz is not playing around. He's not joking around with uh, A.G. Rosenstein. And I tweeted this out, and I still maintain that A.G. Rosenstein, he presented himself in a way that was very, very squirmy and untrustworthy. And I want to trust A.G. Rosenstein. I want to trust Christopher Ray, But their behavior seems to me like they're more concerned with and focused on preserving the FISA warrant process than they are telling the truth and turning over requested documents to Congress. And I got a problem with that. As a taxpayer, as an American, I got a problem with that. So let's listen to number four.
4: Deputy Director, the Democratic memo that the president declassified says the Department of Justice accurately informed the court that the FBI initiated its counterintelligence investigation on July 31st, 2016. Did any investigative activity regarding the Trump campaign in Russia occur before July 31st, 2016?
6: Congressman, as you know, uh, we're dealing with the uh, Intelligence Committee on that issue, and uh, Chairman Nunes met with Director Ray and me. I received the same briefing that he received, so I don't know any additional information beyond what he knows about that, and I'm not able to produce any information beyond uh, what the FBI has told me. So, I, 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 there, Are you aware, as
4: you sit here today, of any payments that were made to any person to collect intelligence on the Trump campaign prior to July 31st?
6: No, but keep in mind I wasn't there. I only know what information that we've obtained from the FBI records.
4: Are, are you, as you sit here today, aware of uh, any efforts to contact Roger Stone that occurred prior to July 31st, 2016?
6: I don't have any personal knowledge, Congressman, but I know that we are seeking to respond to Chairman Noonan's request. I think one thing you need to understand... about the same
4: question as it regards to Michael Caputo?
6: I, I wasn't there, and so I can only answer questions that we directed to the FBI and then have them sit there convenient. now, right? I mean, have you asked these questions of anyone? We, we have uh, absolutely conveyed all the questions that Chairman Nunes has raised, and I'm optimistic that we'll be able to respond in fairly soon.
3: How convenient. So I do understand the position that A.G. Rosenstein is in, you know, Deputy A.G. Uh, he's He's coming in after the bad acts have occurred. But he doesn't seem like he's that willing to kind of participate in the cleanup job. It's like he's an unwilling participant, which means that it calls his uh, his own integrity into question. And he's saying, you know, it's it sounds to me like he's saying, well, you know, I wasn't there. Yeah, you weren't there, but you should have reviewed all the documents by now. Like you've been there long enough to have, reviewed and been read into anything that occurred so that you can kind of say, OK, here's what went wrong. Here's you know, here's the lay of the land. Here's some heads, a list of heads that need to roll, you know. And he had he did mention later in the clip that uh, certain individuals have been referred for prosecution or have individual investigations running against them, et cetera, et cetera. I, you know what I'm saying? So I get it, I get it. But uh, why was he so squirmy? Why? 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 Why did he look like? you know, the, everyone keeps pointing out how big of a Republican he is. That doesn't really mean much. You know what I mean? Like, I've met plenty of people who say they're Christians, but then when you ask them about, like, um, I don't know, do you believe that the Holy Spirit is God also? Do you believe Jesus Christ is God also? They're like, oh no, God is God. And then Jesus, like, he was a man. And then you're like, whoa, wait a minute now. Can I share something with you? You know, I think must you know some things that I you don't you shouldn't know because they're not true. That's what it sounds like with this guy. It's like, yeah, he's a Republican, but he doesn't really appreciate Republicans looking into what the agency he now heads up does. What what the agency did. He doesn't seem like he's willing to hold anybody accountable. It's a little bit mm, uncomfortable. So we'll see what happens. That's the show. You guys enjoy the weekend. Unplug. Get in the pew on Sunday. Hug a friend. Forgive somebody. Do something awesome. I'll be back with you next week.